Kids that are suicidal. Level of aggression. Let me play my part. Check two Check like, two is that eight. real? Did that happen? Like, the structure of your brain actually changes. And do you still feel that every day? And then it got time for guitars. Eating disorder, like I didn't want to die. Tendencies. But I didn't want to live. Yeah. Girl. You gotta go in the hospital. You feel powerless to the body has a fear reaction. The opportunity to empower. No one can take away my power. I won't take myself out. Artists that are true like that, those are the ones that tend to like create change. I think a lot of people who feel disempowered by whatever trauma they've been through feel like they have the power to bring, bring that feeling on themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. It can feel like that, throwing out a phrase I don't know that much about, that internal locus of control is now actually external, that you feel like whatever mood I'm in is based on whatever just happened to me, but I can't control it myself. So what you just said sounds very empowering. It is very empowering and it's a teachable skill and it's actually a skill that I think should be taught in schools. Absolutely. Because Everybody needs to use it from time to time or could benefit from it. it you don't have to be a, a trauma survivor in order to benefit from learning how to use resourcing or stabilization skills in order to manage activation that is, either involves anxiety or depression or other sure. things. That's amazing that you say that because uh, I can't help but think what a different world it would be if, if kids were taught in formal school studies just how to regulate their emotions. You know, it's kind of seen almost as too personal. Well, we'll teach you reading and writing, and then you have gym class and see if you survive recess. Um, but w when do we teach people, you know, you're gonna be let down, you're gonna be hurt, you're gonna be disappointed in life, you're gonna be overwhelmed, and here's what to do when you feel out of control. Where do they learn that if they're not lucky enough that their parents can teach them? Well, I suspect there would be a tremendous impact on bully behavior, meaning there would be far less of it. Mm -hmm. I think there would be a great difference in the amount of kids that are suicidal. Um, I think there would also be a great impact in our society based on the level of aggression that gets uh, displayed, whether it be road rage or carrying guns and using them on people to maintain control, mm. or whether it be abusiveness in a partnership. Sure. To name a few. Sure. Is there a movement, as far as you're aware, now you've piqued my interest, uh, to formalize that kind of, as part of education? I'm not aware, I'm not involved enough in the education system to speak to that, but I know that there are movements out there in terms of meditation practices that people are trying to foster um, to, to make a dent in, in this in our world, sure. which we need now probably more than many times in our life. More than ever, I'd say. And sometimes social media can be an empowering thing. You know, you see people freeing themselves from terrible situations in the third world and things like that. And then you see the online bullying and you're like, ah, oh, is it really worth it? You know, it's just almost amplifying some of the worst aspects of us mm -hmm. and how we treat each other. And there's that anonymity to where you'd say things online, maybe not you and me, hopefully, but you know, a lot of people would say things online that they would never say to someone's face. I see it. I see it on, on social media. Hmm. I, I'm always kind of surprised. I, I probably shouldn't be, but, 
it's discouraging <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to, to see some of the very hateful things that are said. Yeah, for sure. So talking about empowerment, you said there's this, there's a skill to bringing upon this alpha state that you were talking about. Um, I imagine there are some people, because we joke about it, like, oh, calm down, count down to, from 10, think about an ocean. But you're saying it's a legitimate practice that people can develop and uh, foster in themselves and use whether they have PTSD or not. Absolutely. Um, I'm guessing that comes from uh, outside of EMDR, that this isn't the first place that it's been used. Is oh, that part no, of cognitive no, no, therapy no. since I forever? Mean, I think uh, from time immemorial, people have been looking at ways to soothe themselves, whether it's through drumming or whether it's through nature mm -hmm. or whether it's through music, all of which have powerful influences on a human being in terms of their state of calm. Sure. Well, we're all for drumming at the Kelly Nicole Foundation. Are we you? just ask people to use a metronome. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Stay on the click. Um, okay, so now this brings up a, a dichotomy that's fascinating to me. Um, this concept, and I know you didn't use the word distraction, but when we talk about self-soothing and kind of escaping mentally versus this concept of mindfulness, here you just brought them together. You're using mindfulness to escape and soothe yourself and kind of bring that empowerment back. Um, I'm really fascinated by... Again, I wouldn't even use the word escape because I think our natural state is to be calm. You think that's the state of nature? I, th I do. Until something disrupts us. Until we're disrupted. Huh. Until a need arises, like in the case of a baby. Yeah. You know, whether it's food, clothing, shelter, change the diapers. And they scream. Yeah. Or something happens in our environment. I don't think our natural state is to be in a state of hyper alertness where our certain subcortical areas of our brain are running amok and hijacking us. That's interesting because when you say hyper alert, I might think about acuity. You know, I might think about having the quick answer to the, the question at work when someone, you know, puts me in the corner. Didn't you send this email? Didn't you do that? Or did that spreadsheet show that data? I'm like, my, my brain is racing and I need a quick answer. The last thing I want to say is, I don't remember what I sent. Let me look at it and call you next week. But that might be the right answer, right? Yeah. Like we yeah. want to have the quick answers in this society. Um, mm -hmm. You're saying that can be maybe not the healthiest state of mind? Well, I think we, we want to pay attention to how often during the day that we find ourselves in an anxious state, you know, and some people would argue increasingly that's taking place. Hmm. I've, I've never been practicing during a period of time where more people have told me that purposely they have to limit the amount of things such as news, cast. It's terrible. Uh, people are really trying to keep their heads above water with hopefulness and keep their own personal anxiety at a manageable state and people are looking at all different strategies to do that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because I find more and more people I sit down with are saying what you just said that depression and anxiety are ascending right now. Um, that they're not flat, that they're not decreasing, they're actually really 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 People are struggling more than they ever have. I just finished watching the, the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. Mm -hmm. Obviously being born in 1980, I only take in this information secondhand. But you see that level of loss and that level of suffering that the world is capable of visiting on people. And, and you just wonder like how, how people got through those decades, you know, whether in the US or, or in Saigon or wherever. 
Um, but then here we are and, you know, supposedly our needs are mostly met. We're in a first world country. Unless you're overseas, it feels like we're at peace, even though we kind of never are. Mm -hmm. um, the bombs aren't here in the U.S. for the most part. Um, and yet we've, we have this sense of so many people feel defeated, deflated, despair, and just this dark cloud over us right now. You know, you're saying you're seeing a lot of that as well. I am shocked at the amount of suicidality I am seeing firsthand. And also I consult with uh, therapists in consultation groups and the number of uh, clients they have that are either presenting suicidal ideation or have made attempts or have executed those attempts. The, the, the amount of it is, in my experience, growing at a very fast rate. Have they pinned down any kind of, I know it's hard to say, uh, you know, causality nationwide for something like that, but are they pinning down any kind of correlations? Well, the one correlation that I think people are aware of is the one with uh, addiction. You know, the opiate addiction has taken so many lives. Sure. The, the drugs are getting stronger and there's less room to error in terms of dosage. So the amount just in our community of overdoses is much higher than anybody would know because so much of it never gets reported. Hmm. Because it was a prescription drug as opposed to like <clears throat> a street both, drug? Both. Really? Both. Hmm. I hear about it because I hear from the people who have lost co-workers or who have lost family members and other therapists hear of it in that way. But lo most of the things I hear about never make the news. I, I would guess that there would be some report that the state might get, but um, they're not generally visible. How do, we'll get back to EMDR, I promise. I just want to build, kind of build a context for it. Like what are the other things people are trying and what are pe people struggling with? Um, uh, but when someone has an, an overdose on a drug like that, how does a coroner or whoever, a medical examiner, determine what was going on in their head at the time? How do they know whether or not it was suicide? You know, as I sit here and think about it, I'm not sure how anyone would come to that determination. Well, that's a question for the coroner, I would say. Yeah. But, you know, there are some obvious signs, suicide notes. Notes, yeah. There are some signs, people on social media saying they're going to do it. There are some signs that people wrap up certain business deals. You know, there, there are certain things that I think behavioral psychologists could look at and say, right. in our best estimation, this is what happened. Indications of finality. Yeah. Things like that. Oh, that's tough. Change in behavior, you know, change in behavior ahead of time. Hmm. Doing things they wouldn't normally do, like spending money or something crazy like that? Could be that, getting out life from policies for family members. Oh, preparing. Yeah, preparing. So they look for these clues. Do you think it's underreported, though? Absolutely. How many of them are suicides? Absolutely. Yeah. Just like addic uh, death from addiction is underreported. Really? Sure. It's much easier to, to tell people that it was a heart attack. And it is a heart attack when you yeah. OD on certain drugs. But the cause of that heart attack, actually, in those cases, is the drug overdose as opposed to a weak heart. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we yeah. never can really get an accurate assessment of that. That's tough. So now we've painted the picture a little bit. Um, 
provided some context for some of the other modalities. So now someone walks through the, your door and they have a trauma background, maybe they were very young, and it is more of a persisting affliction. Um, you've worked on the stabilization, you've, you've taught them a little bit about whether you teach them meditation or mindfulness or some kind of empowerment technique. Mm -hmm. um, what's next? Well, with the person you described, that's going to go on for a long period of time, much longer. Because when EMDR therapy goes bad, there's really primarily two reasons for it. And one is not proper assessment, and the second is not taking enough time to make sure the person is capable of that state change. In other words, is having practice and being able to do that stabilization from within. So depending on their level of trauma and the years in which it took place, that could take a long time. That could take a long time. The second thing I do is I do a, an assessment and for sure, I do an assessment for dissociative ability or dissociation. There's a specific scale I use, and I use the souped-up version of that that is more statistically proper. Uh, it's a greater predictor of dissociation. It's called the DES taxon. DES what? DES taxon. Taxon, okay. So there's a DES test that's, called, that's used for assessing dissociation. 28 items, and, and it's kind of like a real general screening. In order to create greater predictability, they've done statistical analyses of which items of those 28 are greater predictors of dissociation, and those become the critical items. And so once you figure out the critical items and you run this through a spreadsheet and you do the proper statistical analysis, you can come up with a predictive factor of how likely that person is in terms of uh, dissociating. And you're saying that in a good way or in a bad way? That they can bring it on or that it happens to them? Because uh, I'm picturing a flashback, but I might not be picturing the right thing. When you say dissociation, I'm picturing someone almost snapping and, and it's maybe not a good time for them to get uh, away from reality, well, but they have. Dissociation, one simple way to explain it is that instead of having one foot in the room, in the office where the, I'm seeing the client and one back in the memory, they have both feet back in the memory. They're and they lose okay. contact with the here and now. So that would be like, that's the kind of dissociation I'm talking about. Okay. And they don't know how to get back. Right. And so depending on their level of dissociation, that might take longer to start the MDR therapy process or not. Sometimes I also do psychological testing, MMPI, which is very good at assessing uh, factors that might contribute to greater complexity, such as psychotic behavior, addiction, uh, serious depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, those types of things. So a proper assessment is really important. Once a person you have a handle on a, a person's dissociative abilities and they are able to do state change successfully, then they are probably ready to do some EMDR processing. Get the music behind the mission. Hate Becoming by Kelly Nicole on iTunes and Spotify. If you guys haven't checked out the merch table, join the movie. Buy the album. Get your Kelly Nicole band merch and donate what you can at kellynicolefoundation.org. Courage is strong! Amplified!